We're holding in the middle of the parak. Last week we were discussing Moshe Rabbeinu going up the first time to by Matan Torah for being there for forty days, coming back down, seeing the the Eglazov. We had a machlekes. If the next forty days was he in, did he stay in the camp of Bnei Yisrael, or did he go back up for another forty days? And then afterwards, Hashem told him to make the second pair of luchos, and we're about to t- speak about Moshe Rabbeinu going back to the mountain for another forty days. Either that would be the second one according to Pekadavas, or the third one according to Seder Eilim. We asked last week, Rabbi Pomerantz asked if the second luchos were written by Moshe Rabbeinu or not. That's what we were discussing. So, the one pasuk it says. Um, I will write on it. Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, I will write on it. Another passage of Hashem says, Vayidaber Hashem Eilai Ksav Lachas Adrim In Sefer Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu said that Hashem said, you should write it, meaning you, Moshe, should write it. So it's a bit of a contradiction in the Pesukim. The Moshe of Zekenim... Who write what? The Luchas. Write the words on the Luchas. I just realized you can't. Why? Because it takes a nace. Because in, in, in oh, the oh, Megillah oh. talks about the nace of the Samach and the. Okay, the so I'm sorry. So, so the, first of all, the Mesh of Zikanim, which is a compilation of Balitesis on Chumash. So Mesh of Zikanim says that Mesher bin wrote the second Luchas. So, what about the Pasuk of a Chasavti al Haluchas? Hashem said, I'm going to write on it. So, the Mesh Chachma also goes with this idea that Moshe Ben wrote it. It says that the Chasavti is just going on the fact that Hashem made a special nace that the letters could go through and through and appear, and the words will appear on both sides. So, really, Moshe Ben wrote it, and then Hashem made a special nace that, that it could go through and through. So, that answers your question. How did he write it? Chisel? Yeah, we said last week that a chisel. Miraculously appeared in his tent or whatever. What? So now Moshe Rabbeinu has these newly created um, tablets, and it says in the Medrash, "Ola Moshe imaluchais." Moshe Rabbeinu went up with the tablets. There's actually a gersa that says "Yorad" that he went down with the tablets, but we, he wasn't up to go down. He's, now he's going up to the mountain for the either second or third time. Vasar boim yoyim bahar, and Moshe Rabbeinu spent forty days on the mountain. He was sitting in front of Hashem as a, a student who sits in front of his Rebbe. He was sitting there in front of Hashem learning from Hashem like a Talmud and a Rebbe. He was, the word Das is, um, is used in modern Hebrew to mean religion. Dati is like religious. So das it's, it's really a borrowed term. The, it really comes from Persian, where the word das means a royal proclamation. So here it, it makes a little... It, it doesn't mean religion. It means a royal proclamation. Over here, that original meaning is more appropriate, I think. It says, Kari bidas mikra vayayim. was reading the royal proclamation of mikra, of the scriptures, during the day. And Moshe Rabbeinu was learning the royal proclamation of the Mishnah at night. And we spoke about at great length last week why Moshe Rabbeinu learned Teresh Sav during the day and Teresh Pes specifically at night. But that, that the point is that he spent 40 days, these 40 days up in Shemayim on the Har, learning with, with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, like, like a student who learns from his Rabbi. Is that an interesting idea? 
we didn't speak about this last week, but we could have spoke about it last week. What's this idea of 40 days? This idea of 40. Like, what's the significance of the number 40? So I heard an idea from Rabbi Zev Lef Shlita, the Rav of Moshev Matityahu. And if you heard of him? So Rabbi Zev Lef wanted to say that we find the number 40 whenever we're talking about a new creation and a new formation. For example, the Gemara says that when we talk about Yitzirah Savlad, the formation of, of, a, of a child, so until 40 days, the embryo is considered Kamaya Ba'alma, the Gemara says it's like water, and then after 40 days, you know, that's a new, it's a new status. Now it's considered something that's formed. And modern day science also agrees that the, the first trimester, which is more or less 40 days, so that's when the major systems of the body are being formed. And then after 40 days, there's nothing new being formed per se, but they're just developing and growing and becoming stronger. So the development of something new, that takes, that's a, it's a 40 day period. And we also find when Hashem wanted to destroy the world and create it anew by the flood, so the flood lasted 40 days, it was a 40 day flood. Or we find that when Hashem wanted to destroy the generation of the Jews who had sinned with the, with the spies, with the Miraglim, so Hashem had them linger in the desert for 40 years so that the new generation could spring out. So it took 40 years to germinate the new generation. We also find, we find, in different places we find idea of 40. So over here also, when Moshe Rabbeinu was sitting in front of Hashem for 40 days, either the first time, the second time, the third time, whatever, the point is that it, it was creating a new world in, in certain aspects. Because if the Torah is the sort of pinnacle of creation and the whole world was created for the acceptance of the Torah, so now that the Torah is coming into the, into the, into the real world, so then it's, it's going to be a new world, it's going to be something different. So that took 40 days in order to get to that stage. Yeah, yeah, the first time, and then the second, and the third, yeah, and this time also. And Rabbi Laf also said that that's the idea of the 40 days. Another idea is, he said, Rabbi Laf says that um, the, the amount required for a mikvah, for a kosher mikvah, is 40 saw of water. Saw is a, is a measurement of liquid. So 40 saw of water, that's how much water you need for a mikvah. So what's the idea of 40 saw? Because when a person goes to the mikvah, so you come in tameh, you're impure, there's something wrong, there's something that has to be fixed or whatever. You go into the mikvah, you come out, now you're a new person. So you created something new again. It's a new formation. That's why it needs 40, because 40 is the number of creating something new. So it says that's also the idea of the 40 days between Rosh Chodesh Elul and Yom Kippur. We spoke last week about the 40 days between Elul and Yom Kippur. It's a special time that it's Mesugal for doing tshuva, for bringing a person back to where he's supposed to be holding. And again, when a person does tshuva, it's the same idea, that he was something wrong, there was something wrong with him, there was something bad about him, something lacking, and now he does tshuva, and, and he fixed it, and now he's a new person, he's a, a better person, he's something, he, a new formation. So that new formation also, that takes 40 days, from Shkadish Elul to Yom Kippur, it's 40 days, that, that's the idea. Rebelef added another idea, he wanted to say, that that's a pshat, why we say that Malchus, right, the... What's it called? The uh, ritual flogging for a person who transgresses a, a nevera. You get malchus. You get whipped, right? So Chazal tell us. Really, the pasuk says you get whipped forty times. Chazal tell us it means really forty minus one, which is thirty-nine, 
Uh, what, what's the idea over there? So Gemara says the Malchus b'mokri misakoi. The Malchus is sort of instead of death. A person gets flogged. A person gets whipped by Bezdin instead of getting killed. Meaning the the avera that he did is is a serious avera, and he should get punished for it. But we're not going to really go out and kill him. We're going to we're going to flog him, and that's that's what that that's how he's going to get his kapara. So when 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 a person is killed by Bezdin, the way it works is you 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 had a person who did an avera. There was something wrong with him, some a pagam, some sort of uh, blemish or whatever. And it had to be fixed. So we killed him. And then now his neshama gets that, that fixed, that get, gets that rectification, and now he can move on. So it's the same idea when you get whipped, except that whipping is not exactly on the same level as flogging. So instead of 40, we do 39 to show that it's not exactly like a completely new person. You're not dead and now you came alive, but it's, it's, on, it's on the same plane. That's the idea from Rabbi Lef. Well, the point is that Moshe Rabbeinu was up in Shemaim and he was learning Torah in front of Hashem like a Talmud who learns in front of his Rabbi. And the way Rabbi Yomi Ismail writes it, he says that the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was learning Torah in front of Hashem as if Moshe Rabbeinu was the Talmud and Hashem was the Rabbi, that aroused the jealousy of the angels in the Shemaim. That Moshe Rabbeinu had such a close relationship with Hashem, whatever exactly that means, but that aroused their jealousy and that brings out the next part of the Medrash. The ministering angels said, The simple way of reading it is that the angels said to Moshe, The Torah was only given for us. Really, meaning, really the Torah should be given to us. We, we should get the Torah, not you people, us angels. Hashem should give the Torah to us angels, not to you people. And really, it's, it's a Gemara, Mishra Shabbos, which sort of, uh, parallels this medrash over here. The Gemara Sechel Shabbos and Dapeches brings the pasuk Ma Enesh Kisses Kareno Tuno Haidcha Ala Shemayim. That the angels said to Hashem, Tuno Haidcha Ala Shemayim, give your splendor to the heavens. Meaning, let the angels let the angels have the Torah. Don't give the Torah to people. Give the Torah to the angels. Chazar Meisha V'Amar Lehem Meisha Benu returned. He rebuttaled, offered a rebuttal, and he said to them, "Ksiv B'Tayra." It says in the Torah, "Kabed Asavicha V'Simecha." You should honor your father and your mother. V'Chiyesh Lachem Av V'Aim. Do you have a father and a mother to be honored? You're an angel. Angels don't have fathers and mothers, so obviously the Torah is not talking to you. V'Ay Ksiv B'Tayra. Furthermore, it says in the Torah, "Adam Kiyomus B'Oyel." It speaks about the halachas of Tumas Meis, Tumas Oil. Of a, a dead body that's conducive to ritual impurity, right? So it says, Adam kiyamus a man when he dies in a tent. But you guys, between you, there's no such happening as death. Meaning, the, the Radha says, it's not not just that you don't have natural death at all because you're angels. You don't even have like if one angel would take a sword and, and k- try to kill the other angel, you, you can't do anything. The whole concept of death is just un- inapplicable to angels. So what are you what are you saying that you you should get the Torah? Well, the Torah doesn't make any sense when it, when, when, it, when it's in the context of angels. Rather, the Torah was only given for us, for us humans. That was what Rishon answered. And the angels were quiet, and they didn't answer back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Mikan Amru, from here Chazal say, Moshe Rabbeinu went up with his wisdom to the upper realms. And he brought down to the world the strength of the, the security 
of the ministry angels, meaning the strength of their security is, is the Torah. I'm not sure exactly why it's called that, but it says, okay, The Chacham went up, there was, a, there was a city of Gibarim, which is Malachim, the city of Gibarim, Allah Chacham, a wise man came up, meaning Moshe went up to Shemayim, and he brought down the strength of their security. So he brought the Torah down to the world, and he didn't leave it up in Shemayim for the, for the angels to, to, to enjoy, to, to keep. The Radal said, the Radal is not exactly sure if this Medrash is, is supposed to be over here. It's specifically brought down over here because we're talking about the second set of Luchis. And that's when this happened, or it's not necessarily the, the medrash isn't necessarily being careful exactly where it is it down, and it could be that this story really happened originally by the first luchos. The the Radal says it's not exactly so clear what what, what the medrash wants to say over here. Yeah, I interrupt. You just I did. Say no, I just I just saw it's very nice. The it, it, it used the two examples, Kaved es imecha, Avicha ves imecha, yeah. which, uh, which explains the fact that you came from somewhere, came from your mother and your father. And then it says, adam ki yamus, that's where you're going. So yeah. it begins with where you came from and it goes with where you're going. It shows that the, the Torah had to be given to someone that came from someone who was going somewhere because the Torah is a process. It's not just a facts, a whole bunch of facts that we do, the mezuzah and that thing. It's a process. There's a process of, of life happening there. And then, so therefore the Torah had to be given to those. Okay. You want to say, as opposed to, to, let's say, process. as opposed to, let's say, angels, which angels are always called oimdim. They just stand there in one place. They're not moving. They're not, there's, no they're not, there's no up and downs with them. There's no tshuva. There's yeah. no up and down. Yeah, there, there, so the Radal more or less says sort of what you're saying. The Radal like... He, he says it in sort of a slightly different way. He asks, I mentioned before that there's this really a Gemara Masech Shabbos that the angels said that Hashem should give them the Torah and Moshe Rabbeinu said back, over there in the Gemara, Moshe Rabbeinu said back something slightly different. In the Gemara, Moshe Rabbeinu said back, he went through the different ten, of the Ten Commandments and he said, these don't, these don't apply to you. For example, you know, it says, I am Hashem your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. So Moshe um, uh, rhetorically said to the angels, said, did you go down to the land of Egypt? No. So obviously it's not talking to you. And then the Gemara said, he said, on your father and your mother. So do you have a father and mother? No. So it can't be talking to you. The Gemara brings different examples, not exactly the same examples over here. So the Radal says that, why did it choose Dafka these two examples? Specifically the example of Kibbut Av and Tumas Meis. So because that includes the beginning of life and the end of life. Beginning of life, uh, keep it up. Right when you're born, you're already obligated to honor your parents, and you have parents. And the end of life, that that you know, that's the end of life. And then it means that it also means to include everything in between, all the details of you know, uh, I don't know, all the halachas of plowing with a shore and a chamor yachtov, right? So that doesn't apply to angels either. We're just we we're, we're using like the the first thing and the last thing. Interestingly, the Gemara, when it talks about the Ten Commandments over there, it says them out of order. I always had a tzarchi and exactly why it does that, but... Fine. Um, so there's, an, there's another point over here. So that, that's the exchange over here in Pirkei de Beliezer, that the way we read it, basically understanding it in light of the Gemara and Shabbos, that what the angels were saying was that they were saying that Hashem should give the Torah to the angels. 
What's this idea that Hashem should give the Torah to them? Like, what were they thinking? They know what it says in the Torah. I would assume they know what it says. So like, what, what were they thinking that the angels should get the Torah? It doesn't make any sense. So, so the Mepharshim say like this. They say like this. They say that... That... I'll tell you like this. There's a Ramban in the, in the, the Ramban in his introduction to, to Chumash. His Pirish and Chumash. Ramban says that the Torah is sort of eternal. It predated the world and will and will postdate the world. It's it's above the world. And before the Torah was given by Har, Har Sinai, so the Torah was written in Shemayim. He says it was Esh Shchayra Al Gabe Esh Levana. It was black fire written on top of white fire. I don't know what that means. I don't know if any of us know what, what exactly that means. But it means that the Torah already existed beforehand. It's just that when Hashem gave it down to, to the Jews, to people, so it was sort of dressed up in a way that could relate to people. Just like our neshamas are sort of tra- really transcend our bodies, and the, the body is just a levush, a clothing that the neshama wears, and the neshama in certain ways shines through the, through the body, so to the Torah it is something that's eternal, and and dress is dressed through the Torah that we, the, in the way we, that we have it in order to make it that like you could sort of see it and understand it and do something about it and whatever, but it's really something that's beyond. It's really you know something way you know all deep 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 kabbalistic ideas that are that are that are at the root of everything. Mm-hmm. That, you know when the Torah says like it seems like some sort of crude just. That, that's what it is, uh, some very simple prohibition, but there's really much, much deeper things behind every single word, every single line in the Torah. So the Ramban, that's what the Ramban says in the beginning of his Pirish and Chumash. The Mepharshim want to say that that's what the Malachim were saying. The Malachim were telling, Hash, were telling um, Hashem that don't give it to people. Leave it over here in Shemayim. And us angels will study the Torah. And we'll, we're going to get straight to those deep, deep Kabbalistic concepts. We're not going to have to, like, you don't have to dress it up or, or bring it down to our level in any ways. That we'll, we'll, we'll understand the deepest, deepest ideas. That's what the angels were trying to say to, 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 to Hashem. And Marisha Rabbeinu answered back, no, it doesn't work like that. There's a Raj, there's a Gemara in Mesecha the Gemara Masech Sukkah says about Rabbi Yenison ben Uziel. It says Rabbi Yenison ben Uziel, he was a big Talmud Chacham, one of the Talmudim of Hillel Zaken, who's the biggest Talmud of Hillel Zaken. He knows everything. The says he knows Mikra, Mishnah, Talmud, Sifra, Sifri, Dover Gadol, Dover Katan, Dover Gadol. He knows Chomish, you know, he knows all of Tanakh, he knows all of Mishnah, he knows all of Gemara, he knows all of Sifra, Sifri, those are Halachic Midrashim. And then it says Dover Katan, Dover Gadol. The great thing and the and the and the and the, and the small the big thing and the small thing. That's what the Gemara says. The big thing and the small. So what's, what's the big thing and the small thing? So the Gemara says, what's the big thing? Bison Merkava. The understanding the the deeper deeper understanding of Ezekiel's vision of the chariot of Hashem. That's the the big thing. What's the small thing? Havayas Dabai Dabai that's the discussions of Abai and Rava. That's the, the Gemara is made up with. That's the, the you know the back and forth, the pilpul that the Gemara is made up of with the discussions of Abai and Rava. That's what the Gemara says. The big thing is Meisimer Kavah. The small thing is Abai and Rava. And he was hundreds and hundreds of years before Abai. Yeah, no, but it's like that that yeah, type, those ideas. Okay. Right? So the Ritzvah Masechah Sukkah says, I don't understand. You you call that a why is that a small thing? Abai is Abai and Rava learning Gemara. That's not a small thing. Why is it called small thing? 
the Ritzvah says that it doesn't mean literally a small thing. It just means that it's the thing that's required to get to the big thing. The big thing of understanding Maisei Rekava, in order to get to understanding the deep ideas of Kabbalah, first you have to learn Havayas Dabai Varava. Right? So Rav Shach, in, in, the, in, one of the, one, in the introduction to one of the volumes of Aviezi, so Rav Shach says that that's the, that was what Moshe Rabbeinu was answering back to the angels. He's saying to them, you can't just jump straight to the Kabbalah things and, and forget about the Pashab Shat. First you have to go through the Pashab Shat. And the Pashab Shat and the Psukim is, is not relevant to you. You need Pashab Shat. It says, You don't have a father and mother. So you, you can know all the great, the deep Kabbalistic ideas behind the myths of Kibbut Av, but it doesn't mean anything because the whole concept of Kibbut Av is not relevant to you. So that's what Moshe Rabbeinu answered back to the angels. And and they were quiet, they accepted it. They didn't answer back to Moshe Rabbeinu. They accepted that, you know, you're right. We, we, we will, you, there's, a, there's, a, there's a process. There's a there's a process. You have to start from from the simple and work your way up. You don't just jump straight into the Kabbalistic interpretations. That's that's basically okay. So that's one way of reading this story over here, where the angels were saying that, the, that Hashem should give the Torah to them. Now, there's a, there's a somewhat different way of, of reading the story over here. Rabbi Leomi Israel has a slightly different way of reading what what happened. Basically, he's coming from a different medrash. There's a different medrash which. Which is similar to, to what we're talking about. There's a Medrash on, on Sefer Tilim in Mizmor Ches. Over there it says the same thing that Hashem, that the angels came to Hashem and said, that you should give your splendor to the, to the heavens. You know, seemingly saying that, you know, let us angels have the Torah, don't give the Torah to mankind. And over there, the answer is different. Over there, it's not Moshe Rabbeinu answering. Over there, Hashem himself answers the angels. Hashem says to the angels, what do you mean? I gave you a chance already. I sent the angels down in the time of Avram Avinu. Three angels. Right? Three angels came down to the, to the world. And what did they do? They ate Basar Right? Avram Avinu served them Benabakar and Chema. Butter and beef. Veal, whatever. And, and they ate it. They ate possible cholov. So you want the Torah? You, you, I already gave you a chance and you, you messed it up. So you're not getting the Torah. That's what the Medrash says over there. So Bliyomi Izmir interprets our Medrash over here in light of that Medrash, Shaykh about the possible cholov. And it could be that in a way he's also trying to answer how that Medrash could, could somewhat be made synchronized with, with the Gemara and Shabbos. It says like this. After that story where Hashem answered back that, yo, you ate possible chol, so I'm not going to give you the Torah, fine. So then the angels said to Moshe, Hashem said, okay, I'm going to give the Torah to man. Right? So now the angels are telling Moshe Benu, what's the lotion of our Medrash? Moshe, Moshe, the Torah is only given lemanenu. Not because of us, meaning for our sake, meaning the Torah was only given, Hashem only gave the Torah for us, that we should give it to us. But rather, Hashem is only giving the Torah to you, Lemanenu, is because of us. Hashem is giving you, the Jews, the Torah, because of us angels. Because us angels messed up and we ate Basar B'chol when we came down to the earth, that's why Hashem is giving the Torah to you, mankind. So therefore, it's on account of us that you guys get the Torah. So you owe us. You know, we, 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 sort of, we, we, we brought it about that you got the Torah. So you owe us. 
Mm-hmm. And to that, Moshe Rabbeinu is saying back, no, it's not true. It's not true at all. Because even if you didn't eat pasul b'chalav, still the Torah was tailor made for mankind. It says you don't have a father and mother. It says tumas mace and you don't die. So obviously, it was anyways going to come to us. You didn't really do us any favors by eating pasul b'chalav and making it that the Torah would come to to man. Right. That's Rabbi Yomi Israel's understanding of our Men Shabir. Let's go later. The ministering angels saw that Hashem gave the Torah to Meish Rabbeinu. They also got and they gave Meish Rabbeinu presents. What are those presents? So the one Gersa is Igres Psakin Shal Refuis. Letters of notes of Refuis. Letters of notes of healings, remedies for for people. Shinam says in the Pasuk, Alisa Lamaraim, you went up to the upper realms, Shavisa Shavi, you captured a capturing, meaning Mushabin went up to the heavens and he captured the Torah. And the end of the Pasuk says, Lakakta Matanes Badam, you took presents for man. So it means you have to know exactly why they did this, but the angels saw that Hashem gave Mushabin a present, so they said, Okay, we'll also give him a present. And what did they give him? This present of Letters of notes of remedies for, for people. That's one gift. Igres psakin. The other gift is Igres upsakin. Letters and notes. I have upsakin. Yeah, that's the gift that I also have. Igres upsakin. Letters and notes. So, what are letters and notes of remedies? So, Radal has two explanations. Either it means that letters are, you know, remedies written down in words, right? With words and letters or whatever, and psakin is notes, meaning like like some sort of like let's say a piece of paper that has like a drawing or some explanation without actual words in it. Some some somehow some you can understand it like that. Those are igres and psakin, or you could say that no, a petek, a, a note is like a note where you you took, you, you you wrote a memo. You know, this is how to heal this, this is how to heal that, etc. You have know, a whole list of, of different remedies. As opposed to the igres, which says that the igres are sort of like amulets, a kamea, which the, the letter itself, the, the igres itself serves as a way of healing. Like, you know, you, you take this, this thing and you, you wear it on your necklace and you'll, you'll, you'll feel better, or something like that. So one is a, a list, of, a, a rishima, a, a, a list of different ways to get healed, and one is the... This picture itself, if you wear it or something like that, it'll it'll heal you. Okay, we said that Maisha Benu captured the capturing. That's the Torah that Maisha Benu sort of quote unquote captured by by debating the angels and winning the debate, and he 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 got it for for the Jews. Fine, let's let's go further. Also, the idea of 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 these supernatural refuos. So there is something called Sefer Refuas that's mentioned in Chazal. Mishnah says that Chizkiyahu Amelech, Hezekiah the king, the king Yehuda, so he hid this book known as Sefer Refuas. He hid it. He made sure that people didn't have access to it anymore because seemingly because people started relying on that instead of praying to Hashem when they, got, when they fell ill or whatever. Who wrote Sefer Refuas? So there's different explanations. I think we may have spoken about it some other time. There's some Chazal say that Noyach wrote it, that the angels taught him that when he was when he was on the boat in Mabul. Other Farshim say that Shlomo Malach wrote Sefer Refuah. Different 
ideas of exactly who wrote it, when it was written, etc. Uh, I think it's the Rambam. There is a Rishon. Yeah. Who says that the Daf or Da the Pim in, in Gittin is safer of fools. Yeah. Most of the Rishonim say it's not. Some say it's, it's like sighting according. Or something. It's, it's just something but else altogether. With the seventh over there. Yeah. There's a couple Daf Pim of just random what happens things. in random if you... If, if you get a home here, or if this happens to you, so you do this and this and this. Two pages of Rufuos. I think it was the, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but there was at least one Rishon that held that that was the Sefer Rufuos. And we just don't understand it anymore, but that was it. Yeah, interesting. Okay, let's go right there. Ben Becerra Oimer, the son of Becerra, says, Our boy Mioim also Maisha Bahar. Maisha Beno spent 40 days on the mountain. He was expounding the words of Torah and he was investigating its letters. So what does that mean? He was expounding the words of Torah and investigating its letters. So the Radal connects this to a different Gemara. Gemara Menachas says that when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shemayim, so he saw Hashem. What was Hashem doing? Hashem was tying letters to the... It was, I'm sorry. Hashem was tying crowns to the letters in the Sefer Torah. That's what the Gemara says. Moshe Ben asks him, what are, these letter- what are these crowns that you're tying to the letters? And Hashem says to Moshe Ben, he says, there's going to be someone in the future who his power in, in interpreting Torah is so great that he's going to be able to understand the deeper meaning of the crowns of these letters. Right? Meaning Rabbi Kiva, it's referring to Rabbi Kiva. And Moshe Ben says, okay, so what are you giving the Torah from me? Give it, give it the Torah with him. Don't give it with me. He's, he's going to be so much greater. I don't even understand what these crowns are about. And this person is going to understand it. And Hashem says, silence. Such has arisen in my thoughts that I'm giving it with you. And only at a later time are the crowns going to be interpreted by Rabbi Kiva. That's the Gemara Menachas. What? That's what, so that, that, that's what the Radal says is, is, is alluded to over here in the Medrash. Rabbi Yomi Israel says another idea. He says, What's mean Durish Bidivri Torah? Moshe Ben was expanding the words of Torah. So he says that Moshe Ben was sort of practicing when he comes back down to the earth, he's going to have to be teaching everybody. So while he was in the heavens for 40 days, he was sort of practicing how it's going to be to teach over Torah to other people. What's mean Choyker Investigating the letters of the Torah. So Rabbi Yomi Israel has, if I'm not mistaken, seven explanations of what this means that he was investigating the letters of the Torah. Let's see. Either he says it means that that certain letters were when when the angels gave him um, the ways of doing remedies or whatever the book of the ideas of remedies. So he's the angels told him how certain letters have certain schoolers that they can bring refu up. So Mishabin was investigating how each letter corresponds to certain types of healing. That's one shot. The second shot is that Mishabin was investigating. Uh, the different names of Hashem or different names that are used in Kameyas, in amulets that the angels gave him. Second pshat. Third pshat, Moshe Rabbeinu was investigating why is it that there's m- m- the, the, end, the, end le- the final letters and the, and, the, and the regular letters. Why is there a special mem at the, at the end of a word? The mem is closed. And then the, and other placement in the word, the mem is not closed. That's the third shot. The fourth shot, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to know, you know the order of the letters. Why is Allah first and Bez second, etc. 
fourth, that was the fourth pshat, the fifth pshat, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to know why the letters look the way they look, the, fifth, the form of them, right? The next pshat, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to know why some letters are made up of, let's say, two parts, like a dalit is made up of like a line that goes like this, and another line that goes like this, that's so two parts, and some letters made up of three parts, they have like a chaf, like this, like this, and like this. So why, why should there be a difference? And he wants to know, another pshat is, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to know why the, the, the certain letters, if you spell them out, so certain letters have a very high gematria spelled out as opposed to not spelled out, and certain letters have a very low. For example, like Aleph, right? So Aleph is one, let's say, on its own. When you spell out the word Aleph, it's Aleph, Lamed, Pei, which is... Oh, Aleph is 1, Lamed is 30, and Pei is, is 80, so it's 111. So like it's a very high number uh, compared to the, to, the, to the source, which is 1. As opposed to, let's say, Tuf, the letter Tuf is spelled Tuf Yud Vav. Right? So Tuf is 400, but if you spell it out, it's just only, it's, Yud Vav is 16. It's like just 16 more. So why, you know, what, 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 what's the difference between the different letters in, in terms of that? Right, those are different. I think it was seven shatim. The Rebbe Yomi Isber says, "What does it mean that Moshe Rabbeinu was investigating the letters?" After forty days, Lokach has a Torah v'yorad. Moshe Rabbeinu took the Torah and he came down. When did he come down? On the tenth day of the seventh month, which is the day of Yom Kippur, and he. Gave it over to the Jews as a he gave it over as an inheritance to the Jews as an everlasting statute. This shall be for you an everlasting statute. Okay. Rabbi Zachari Aimer. Rabbi Zachari says, the Jews read this Torah. On the day that Moshe Rabbeinu brought it down, I guess. And they found that it was written in the Torah, You should afflict your souls on the tenth day of the seventh month. On Yom Kippur, they saw, oh, it says you're supposed to fast. So what do they do, of course? On that day itself, they sent out shofar, a, a horn. People, they blew a horn all throughout the camp of the Jews. And, and they announced that the entire nation should fast from man to woman from big to small so the Radal says that you could read big to small meaning from you know older people to younger people and that would imply that there is there is such an idea at least that even people lower than Bar Mitzvah should fast mm-hmm. and there is there are opinions that say that when you're 12 years old already you're Chayv Doraisa to fast on Yom Kippur there is such a thing. But he wants to say, the Radal says that it's not, uh, it, it, you're, you're not forced to say that that's the only way that, of reading this manish. You could say, you know, what the manish means by Godal va'ad koton, from big to small, it means from the greatest people, the most important people, to the least important people. You could you say it in, like a, in a pushed way. Point is that the day Moshe Rabbeinu came down, they read the Torah, they realized that they're supposed to fast, so they sent out shoifers and they made an announcement everyone's supposed to fast. Right? So obviously, as the Radal points out, that means that they didn't actually fulfill the requirement of Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur would require them to have been fasting already, let's say, from the night before. And here it just happened in the middle of the day that they started fasting till the end of the day. 
So he, he said that they weren't really exactly fulfilling the din of Yom Kippur, but like this is this is how they started it. This was like the first time they did Yom Kippur. Now, it, it's an interesting thing that we also blow Shoifer on Yom Kippur. But when do we blow Shoifer on Yom Kippur? At the end of right after. At the end of Yom Kippur, mm. right? When Yom Kippur is over, that's when they blow Shoifer. And there's all kinds of different reasons. You look in your article, Machzor, and there's like 10, 10, 15 reasons or something from like Rav Sadia going, why do we blow Shoifer at the end of Yom Kippur? Right? But the Radal wants to say another pshat. Why do we blow Shoifer at the end of Yom Kippur? So the Shibayli Alakit brings our Mendesh over here that says that when Moshe Benu came down from Har Sinai, and they read the turn, they realized that they're supposed to fast, and they sent out a shofar for everyone, and they, and they started fasting. So that's the source why we blow shofar on Maitzah Yom Kippur. So the Dal says that what that has to mean is that, that the Shibali Lekhet understood that when it says the Moshe Benu came down, they blew a shofar, it means that that was like already at the end of the day. It's like at the end of the day, they blew a shofar, because otherwise, what would that have to do with the meaning that we keep to? Why, you know, we, we blow after, after Yom Kippur. Why does that have to do with, you know, if, if they blew a shifer in the middle of the day at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, so what does that have to do with us blowing a shifer at 8 o'clock at night? And all, the Radal also says, so, 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 so Radal says that the Shibala Lekin must have understood that when it says that, Meshav, that they blew a shifer and Meshav Benin came down, Meshav Benin must have come down like towards the end of the day. That's one Nukuda that the, that the Radal makes. Uh, the other Nukuda that I have a little bit of a problem with this with this with this point of the Radal because it says in the Medrash that from then to the end, to the rest of the day they were fasting, but if 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 it started if Mishra came down like towards the evening or whatever right before Shkia or something like that and then they started fasting so like what were they fasting exactly mm-hmm. for an hour for two hours for like between Shkia and Rabbeinu Tam like wh- how much were they fasting. It's not, it's not, it's not, I wouldn't say that you're fasting if you don't eat for 72 hours. It's not such a big deal. You mean 72 minutes. 72 minutes, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, that was a spoonerism. No, what is it? Freudian slip. Well, um, I, I'm sorry, I don't understand how we know it was, he came... Is, no, the Radal is saying it must have been he was at the end of the day. No, because the Shibole, no, because the Shibole Leket, the Shibole Leket connects the minig of blowing shofar on Matzim Kippur to our Medrash over here. Okay, so that, therefore we must assume that the Medrash is talking about at the end of the day. Right. Okay. It's, it's, it's not. Is the answer? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the minhag is from Rav, that's why Rav Sadia says a bunch of different other reasons, and not that one, because. The Chora could be that it came down at the beginning of the day, and that's why that, that's why Amisro started fasting. Right, it could be. And there's other reasons, but okay. But then the Radal says, based on what he's saying, which we, you don't like, I don't, that's why I don't like it either, but the, the Radal says, based on this, so there's an opinion, there's a Machlekes in the Gemara, you shall me, in Masechus Yoyma, the Machlekes in the Gemara, when is Kapara of Yom Kippur? When Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement? When do you get that atonement? Of your sins on Yom Kippur. When does the atonement come? Does it come at the end of the day when you know when Yom Kippur is over? So now you're atoned, or does it come that every moment on Yom Kippur you get your atonement? We'll see another difference between these two these, these machlekes in a few minutes. But that, that is a, that's a, a machlekes. So the Radal says, like, why would you think that the Kapara, if it's called Yom Kippur, and it's the Day of Atonement, why would you think that the Kapara only comes at the end of the day? 
So it says that maybe if you want to say that Marisha Rabbeinu only came back at the end of the day, so it's, that's when we knew that, that Hashem forgave us for the sin of the golden calf, so maybe that would be a source to tell you that the kapara only comes at the end of the day. Again, based on his understanding that Marisha Rabbeinu came back at the end of the day. Alright, that's, that, that, that's, that's what the Riddah wants to say over here. Now, let's go, let's go a little bit further over here. The Medrash says, V'ilula yirma kippurim, if it, the Medrash makes what you, or what you might consider an outrageous statement over here. V'ilula yirma kippurim, if it wasn't for Yom Kippur, loy hoya ha'idlam aymid, the world would never stand. Shirema kippurim mechaper ba'ayim azel vo'elam because Yom Kippur atones for this world and in, in this world and in the next world, Shemarat says the pasuk, Shabbos Shabbosayin hulachem. Shabbos Shabbosayin. It is a Shabbos Shabbosayin for you. Shabbos. Let's say Shabbos means like rest, literally, right? So Shabbos Shabbosayin. It's a double resting for you. Shabbos ha'elam It's resting in this world. Shabbosayin ha'elam and it's Shabbosayin. It's another resting in the world to come. What does that mean? What does what mean? Shabbos, is Shabbat Shabbaton more. That's a different. Why is it referring to Olam Haba? So. And yet, only Shabbos. What's the difference between Shabbos and Shabbaton? Okay, let's let's let's, let's analyze it like this. What's the difference between Shabbos and Shabbosayin? So, it's a common thing that the in Lashon Hakodesh and it could be in other languages as well that if you add a vav nun at the end of a word, it changes the meaning of the word it now in some ways it changes it for for the good for the greater and some ways it changes it as a diminutive for example there's a man named josephus yeah josephus name was was yosef that was his real his name was yosef yosef ben gurion that was his name yosef yeah now yosef he called himself yosifun he added a vav nun to the end of his name, Yosifun. Why? Because it's like a gaiva thing. Like if you add a vav nun, it makes it like the great Joseph. He's the Yosifun. He's like. There's other places also. There's uh, there's an avodah zar mentioned in the Gemara in Sanhedrin Samach Gimel Samach I forgot where, it's, where the Gemara called. There's a certain avodah zar called Gad Yoin. And the Gemara says really it's called Gad, which means like Mazel or whatever. And the the, the vav nun at the end is like to make it the, the great Gad Yoin. The, the great God, God, whatever the word God, I I want to say comes from 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 that name of that of it is our God. Or that's a complicated matter. But some linguists weren't weren't didn't agree to me. But I had a whole discussion about that once. But the point is that the word the letters vav nun at the end of word can make it magnify it, make it greater, or it can have the opposite effect. The vav nun at the end of a word makes it smaller. Um, we've said this example before, I think. Ishoin. What's an ishoin? An ishoin is a pupil. The word ishoin is a pupil. Why is a pupil called an ishoin? So the, so the Hasidic Ashkenaz and a few of Swarm right, right, bring this down. So is a, ishoin is ish vavnun. Vavnun means makes it small. Ish is a man. So it's a small man. Why is your pupil called a small man? Because if I look at your pupil, I'll see a picture of a small man. Right? That, that's what the Mepharshim say. So it's a small man. So you see that Vav Nun could also mean a small thing. 
So what is sha- the word Shabbosayin? What does the word Shabbosayin mean? So I would say that it means like the great, there's a Shabbos, that's like the regular Shabbos, and Shabbosayin is like the great Shabbos, like the, the ultimate Shabbos, like the, uh, an allusion, a definite allusion to Elam Abba, because Elam Abba is called Yem Shukulei Shabbos, Yem Shukulei Toiv, Whatever that's the ultimate. the ultimate Shabbos. That's what I would say, but that's not what the Radal says. The Radal says that the nun at the end of the word Shabbosoyin is Maramis to nun shari bina, the fifty planes of understanding nun shari bina, and we all, as all of us who are familiar with Kabbalah, we all know that. In this world, you can only achieve Memtes Sharibina, the 49th level of understanding. The 50th level you can't achieve in this world. You can only achieve it in Ulam Abba. So Shabbosayin is, a, is a, an allusion, the, the nun at the end of the word Shabbosayin is an allusion to Ulam Abba where you can achieve the 50th. Because we're confined by the physicality of this world, which physicality is always represented in Kabbalah, in Kisvei Maral and whatever, with the number 7. And 7 times 7 is 49. So 49 is like, that's, like, that's, the, that's the, the, uh, the limit of the physical world. And if you want to get above that, to transcend that, to get to the 50, that's already for Alam Abba. So the Nun at the end of the word Shabbosayin is for Alam Abba. Okay. Sounds good, no? Mm-hmm. I sound like I know what I'm talking about, no? Al Kopanim. So we said that Yom Kippur is mechaper in Olam Azeh and in Olam Haba. Now there's a Gemara in Yuma Yoma that discusses different types of averes that a person would do. That you know you need different things to get to get your final atonement for them. And certain the the gravest type of averes it says that Yom Kippur doesn't give you a, a kapara. You need Yom Kippur and suffering and death, and then you get your final kapara. Some some of areas Yom Kippur is enough. Some of areas you need a little bit of suffering. Some of areas you know Yom Kippur and suffering and death. That's when you get your final atonement, right? But the Radal says that that's not a contradiction to what we're saying over here because here we're not saying that Yom Kippur gives you the final atonement for everything. We're just saying that it gives you some degree of atonement for everything. That's the point over here. And he says that there's another Gemara that there's really a Gemara that that, that talks about this. The Gemara says Mesachos Ksubis. Towards the towards the end of the Kuf Kimmel Kuf base, the Gemara says that if a person dies on Maitzei Yom Kippur, so it's a good sign for him because it means that his affairs were forgiven on Yom Kippur, and and now and now he you know, he he can move on. Now, obviously, if he died, how could it be a good sign? He died. That means that he had some sort of a they needed to die for, right? So, like, well, who cares about Yom Kippur? Not Yom Kippur. No, he needed. So the, the the point is that he needed Yom Kippur and the death to get to get to that place. But the point is that Yom Kippur helped him get the atonement for whatever affairs that he had. He also needed death, but he also needed Yom Kippur. The opposite, the Gemara says the opposite as well. The Gemara says that a person who dies on Erev Yom Kippur, that's a bad sign. Because that shows that like, you know, Hashem is making sure to kill you off before you end up getting your atonement. Or maybe you didn't need it. There's no such thing, I don't know, there's, there's, usually there's no such thing as a person who doesn't need it. There are people that don't need any kapara at all. It's the exception rather than the rule. So if a person dies in Erevim Kippur, you'll say either he's Mamash Yitzhak Gomer or he's the opposite. Yeah, you're right. But the question is, what about a person who dies on Yom Kippur? I know a guy. His father. Yeah? He says Kaddish on Yom Kippur. He's 
Supa, yes. My uh, as the when his father died on Yom Kippur, is or 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 either Arab or after, but I'll ask him. Uh, my mother's grandmother died on on Lel Kol Nidre when she was giving birth to my grandmother. Wow. So yeah, Bracha, Bracha. Whatever, I don't remember. I don't know what her last name was. But her name was Bracha. My mother's named after her, Bracha. Huh. So what, what, so what, what, what is, how do you look at it? If a person dies on Yom Kippur, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Based on this Gemara. Gemara says, if you, if you die before Yom Kippur, it's bad. If you die after Yom Kippur, it's good. What about on Yom Kippur? What's the din? What's the din? Right? So, uh, 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 so that's when this question comes in. Uh, uh. When you get well, your first, the question is, I mean, what happens if you die on the same direct henchman or Kislev, which is after Yom Kippur? No, or, so that's uh, a different discussion. Yeah, no, you're right. But we were discussing Yom Kippur itself. We, 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 the Gemara said something about before and something about right after, and then what, it left it left gray. You know what happened in between. So so as we, so Rav Chanan Wasserman discusses this in Kavitz and Yanim, and Rav Chanan Wasserman says what, what you were about to say. Well, it depends when the Kapar of Yom Kippur comes. If it comes at the end of the day, so if you die, if you die in the middle of the day, you didn't get your Kapara, so that's a bad sign. It's, it's the same thing as dying on Erev Yom Kippur. But if the Kapara is, if every moment of the day of Yom Kippur is a Kapara, so then you got your Kapara, so you're good. So that's like you died after Yom Kippur. So it's a good sign. That's what Vulchan and Wasserman says. <laughs> so, Lam <laughs> Shavar. Okay. It's a Lam Shavar without an answer. Right, we're, we're saying we it depends on that machlokes. We don't. Yeah. We want an answer to machlokes. Okay, now now I have to get serious. Okay, so we said something very. We said something very. I I, I called it um, something very um, bombastic over here. We said that if it wasn't for Yom Kippur, the world wouldn't exist. Yeah, somewhat. You know, where, where am I coming from? Why are we saying this? We're mechitesi. So we find the rem is we find this idea in, in a few places. I'll try to just like say, say over some of them. There's a medrash that says like this: in the beginning of the creation of the world, it says in the pasuk, It was evening. It was morning. What does yom echad mean? One day. What does yom echad mean? Day one, but echad one complete. Or something. Ah, so yom echad is one day or day one, right? And the, all the other days of creation, it says yom sheni, the second day, yom shlishi, the third day. It, all the other days are named ordinally, right? Ordinal form, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Right? On the first day, it doesn't say yom rishon. The first day, it says yom echad, day one or day of of one. Right, it's it's numerally, not ordinally. So where are we coming from? Why does it say Yom Echad? So there are a lot of different explanations of that. Rashi says one explanation because whatever the other midrashim say other explanations. But one midrash says like this: Vayi Erev, Vayi Biker, Yom Echad, Yom Kippurim. This is Yom Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, Yom Echad means Yom Kippur. Day one means Yom Kippur. Why is Yom Kippur called day one? Why is Yom Kippur called day one? Okay. Um, why is Yom Kippur called day one? So the, one explanation is, this is an interesting idea. You have to know what to do with it. All the Yom Tovim that we have in, in Chumash, 
every Yom Tov has more than one name. Rosh Hashanah, it's called Rosh Hashanah, it's called Yom Adin, it's called Yom Zikaron, it's called Yom Trua. It has a whole bunch of, whole, whole, whole bunch of names. Right? Sukkis is called Sukkis, it's called Chag Asif. Shvuas is called Shvuas, it's called Yom Abikurim. Pesach is called Pesach, it's called Chag Every All the Yom Tov, they have multiple names. Yom Kippur only has one name. Yom Kippurim. That's what Chazal call it Yom Kippurim. The Torah calls it Yom Kippurim. No. Uh, for some reason, we call it Yom Kippur. I don't know why. Give us uh, what? The Rambam is it's Hilchus Shvisas Asar. Asar. Is he coming from a pasuk that it's also called Shvisas Asar? The, what does Shvisas Asar mean? That's not the name of the day. No, that's, that's the action that you do on the day. We spoke about this once, right? Why? Didn't we? We said that. Why did the or somebody why did the Rambam call Shvisas Asar? We we mentioned it. We because didn't speak about why the Rambam. If you're going to do tshuva. The Seder then it's Yom Kippur. But for those who are not doing tshuva, it's still Yom Kippur. It's still the 10th day of the month. It's still significant. I, I, I never said that pshat, okay. but that, that's uh, an interesting pshat. Well, we're going we're gonna, to... I mean, actually, we're, we're going to see this, but... Chazal don't call it Shvizas Azar. That's the right There's a is in the Gemara if, if Yom Kippur is Machaper, even if you don't do tshuva or not. That's like that's Rebbe and somebody else. You, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? This question. That's yeah, what so says. Even if you're not going to do Even if you're not going to do Right. So I think that's like she does Rebbe uh, maybe? The, the, because it's still there's the aspect of no work on it. Right. Uh-huh. Resting. Whereas if you didn't do the tshuva, there's also the aspect of tshuva. Uh-huh. There, so that's why. So, so, that, so Yom is the day of one, meaning the day that only has one name. Yom, Yom Kippur is only one name. Oh, it's funny. I, don't, I never got to the bottom of this. Why we call it Yom Kippur if every, if the Torah and Chazal call it Yom Kippurim, but it's still one name basically. I don't know why we call it in in singular form and everyone else calls it in plural form. Right? If you if you ever find anyone who says a pshat in that why we call it Yom Kippur and everyone else it's, uh, everyone else is called Yom Kippurim, I would be very in, enlightened enjoy such a explanation. I'll, either way, the point is that that's. The first day of creation is a remez already to Yom Kippur. I also wanted to point out what's, what what is the date of on the count cal- what's the calendar date of this pasuk? What's the calendar date? right? Because Rabbi Lazar, Lazar, we spoke about way back in like I don't even know what parak. Parak. Ches, maybe? The yeah, Ches. Perches. Be- the beginning of Perches is... It's, it's, no, where, where does it say it? In Perches it says that the, 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 the fourth day of creation was the 28th. Somewhere it says it's... it's, it's, it's Lamites. Ches. And I think it always does, I guess. Yeah. It always does, yeah. No, so, right, so Rosh Hashanah, according to Rabbi Leezer, understands that Betishri never Elam, the world was created in Tishrei, which is the first of Tishrei. That's when the world was created, meaning when Adam was created. Right? The first day of creation was on the 25th of El. Right? Now, it's a very um, interesting calendrical fact that the, whatever day of the week the 25th of El falls out on, Yom Kippur will always fall out on the same day of the week. And I mean, three weeks later, whatever, four weeks later, Yom Kippur will always fall out the same day of the week as Chav Hei'el. So there's a connection between that first day of creation and Yom Kippur in this aspect. Yeh So 
there's also another interesting point that what's the Masechta in Shas that talks about Yom Kippur? What's it called? Yoma. Masechta is Yoma. What does Yoma literally mean? Day. The day. The day. Right? The, so what, how do we refer to Yom Kippur? It's the day. What's the day? That's the day. That's the day that, that, that the whole world stands on that day. That's the, the, the main day of the year. And then there's a lot of Jerusalem based on this. Um, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you over two of them that I've that I come across. One of them is the Dastakanim and Pashas Baha'u'llah. When the Jews wanted to have uh, meat, they wanted to have. The, so Hashem said, I'm going to send you meat, I'm going to send you birds, and you're going to eat their meat when they're in the desert. So I'll send you birds and eat their meat. And he says, How long am I, are you going to be able to eat this for? So the Apostle says something very interesting. He says, Rather, a whole month. I mean, he said, not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, not twenty days. Rather, a whole month you're going to be eating the meat of this of these flying creatures, and then you'll, you'll enjoy the meat. Right? That's what it says in the Pasuk. So the Dastakinim says, like, what are these funny intervals of time that Moshe Rabbeinu was like, alluding to? Like, one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days. What, what, what are we talking about over here? So it says, not one day, meaning not Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is known as the one day. That's the paragon of one day. Not two days. So he says two days, he brings two explanations. Either it's talking about two days of Rosh Hashanah, because you know, everywhere they always keep two days of Rosh Hashanah, whether in Chutzlar, whether in Eretz Yisrael, two days of Rosh Hashanah. Or he says it's talking about two days of Shavuos. Shavuos is different than all the other Yom Tevim, because in a certain way, the second day of Shavuos is more important than other second day Yom Tovim because as we said last week the Torah was given on according to one opinion the Torah was given on the second day of Shavuos Zion Sivan even though you know in Eretz Yisrael that's not even a Yantav Bukhal but in, and I think there's a Tshuva from the Chassam Sefer where he says that Yom Tov Sheni of Shavuos in, in Chutzlar is more stringent than Halacha than other Yom Tov Sheni's in Chutzlar, so other Yom Tov. But okay, that was sort of a side thing. So not one day is Yom Kippur. Two days is either Shavuos or Shoshana. Not five days. What's five days? This is five days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Not ten days. What's that? Ten days between Shoshana and Yom Kippur. Not twenty days is referring to the three weeks by the destruction of the base of English. And then he says, rather, it's thirty days. So you see that, like, when we're talking about intervals of time, Yom Kippur plays a very central role. Not one day is Yom Kippur. Not ten days is the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Not five days is the days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. So Yom Kippur plays a very, a, a very central role when we're talking about time in the, in, in the world. Okay, well, at a different time, we'll speak about maybe the connection between Yom Kippur and Sukkot in in this in this way because Sukkot is also called When it talks about the mitzvah of taking a little of an esrog, it says you should take for yourself bayom harishon on the first day. Pre eats hadar kapes tamar manaf eats ovos etc. The 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 dalad minim. Right? But the Torah says that you should take on the first day. The first day of what? The first day of the Yom Tov of Sukkot. But it's not the first day of the month. So it should have said you should take on the 15th day because it's talking about in, in the context of the calendar of the month. So why is the first day of Sukkot called the first day? It should really be called the 15th day of the month. So Chazal tell us why is Sukkot, the first day of Sukkot called the first day? Because it's the first day It's the first day of the account of your sins. 
Well, you got your you got your kapar on Yom Kippur, and now Sukkot is five days later. So you see that the Chazal understood that there's some sort of connection between Yom Kippur to Sukkot. The days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot are not included in the in the calculation of the days of sins. We'll have to speak. Maybe we'll speak about that, that next week. And, and what time is it, by the way? You know what time it is? I think I can figure it here. Oh here. Oh yeah, we'll go a little bit. It's okay. It's, okay. it's an hour into. It. We'll go a little bit. We'll go a little bit further now. Oh, one more vort. Yeah, I said two vorts, right? One more vort. This is from the Ben Yishchai in Parshas Vayishlach. Vayishlach. It says in Parshas Vayishlach that when Yaakov meet, met up with Esav, so Esav said to Yaakov, no, come join us, join us together and we'll go together to Har Seir. We'll, we'll, go, we'll, get, we'll join together and we'll go, we'll go together over there to where I live. We'll go to my place. Yaakov says to him, no, 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 no. I can't do that. He says, you know, you know, I have a lot of I have a lot of my children with me, and I have a lot of cattle, flock, whatever. And if I push them for one day, you know, they're not going to be able to hack it, and they're gonna they're gonna die, right? And then he says, Yeah, we're not if they have I'm gonna go slowly. I'm gonna go slowly, and we'll ca- we'll catch up to you eventually. Chazal tells us that's what it means. When Mashiach comes, that's when we're gonna catch up and we're gonna get our revenge on Esav. But until until then, we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leisurely walk at our own pace. But what does that mean? If I push them for one day, the If I push them for one day, all the flock is gonna die. So the Ben Chai says a nice drush. He says if I joined up with you, Esav, then even the Yom Echad, the one day of the year where the Yitzhahara doesn't try to push you to do Averis, even Yom Kippur, I wouldn't be able to withstand Yom Kippur for Mesu Kolotzoin. All the flock is going to die out because people are just going to be doing Averis left and right. So I have to stay very far away from you, Mr. Esau. Mm-hmm. It's a Ben Ishchai's Jewish on that Pasuk. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do a few more lines over here. Even if all of the holidays will be passed, will will sort of pass on. They won't exist anymore. Yom Kippur will never cease to exist. Yom Kippur will always be in existence. Why? Because Yom Kippur atones for the grave sins and for the less grave sins. Because on this day, He, Hashem, will atone upon you to, to, uh, to cleanse you mikol from all your sins, meaning shagig. It doesn't say from your sins. Rather, it says from all your sins. So Yom Kippur has the power to atone for all sins. Therefore, Hashem made it that Yom Kippur will never cease to exist. Yom Kippur will always be there in the world. Now, there's another medrash in 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 Mishle, There's a medrash in Mishle that says like this. It says that Kol Upurim All the holidays will be will cease will be nullified. They will be cancelled in the future. But Purim will never be cancelled because it says in the pasuk in, in Megillah says it says Yemei Purim They won't pass. Purim will always be set. It will. It's permanent holiday. It won't be. It won't be cancelled. 
Rabbi Eliezer says, Af Yom HaKippurim in a bottle Also Yom Kippur. Not just Purim, but Yom Kippurim also as well won't be no, will never be nullified. And that's an allusion to our Medrash over here that says Yom Kippur will never be nullified. Now the Rav Chaim Falaji asks it sort of as a, as a contradiction. He says, well elsewhere we say that only Purim. And here we're saying also Yom Kippur. And then he says that like, no, that's what it means that Yom Kippur is like Purim. This is a famous idea from the Rizal. Rizal says that Yom Kippurim is Yom, the day that is Kippurim, that's like Purim. But the Rizal doesn't necessarily explain himself in what way is Yom Kippur like Purim. So Rav Chaim Falaji is explaining that it's in this way. Just like Purim won't, will never be nullified, so Yom Kippur will never be nullified. And with this idea, we're going to I guess we're going to stop over here. But the Medrash said that Yom Kippur is, is, atones for all sins, al-Akalis, al-Khamuris. The, the, the heinous, heinous um, sins and the less, the, the less um, serious sins. Uh, really, this, uh, this is the expression used by a Mishnah, Mesechel Shavuos, in the end of the first parak. So the Mishnah says that um, the the seir hamishdal the scapegoat that's sent off the mountain on Yom Kippur that atones for both serious sins and less serious sins, right? So that mission is talking about the scapegoat. It's not talking about Yom Kippur itself. So the Radal says that maybe you see over here somewhat of a contradiction. Maybe there's a machlekes. What brings the kapara of Yom Kippur, the scapegoat or the day itself, right? So the Radal says, no, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a contradiction, it's not a machlekes, so you could say like this. When there are karbanos, when there's a base of Migdash and you could bring a scapegoat, so then the scapegoat brings the kapara. But when there is no base of Migdash and you can't bring a karban, so then the day itself gives the kapara. Also, I mean, because the, the yom itself is a voda of the Kohen Gadol. You can't say that, that 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 doesn't have anything to do with it. The scapegoat is really the Iker. His avoda is so intricate and involved. There's got to be yeah. something there too. And we are... The, the, tru- are, are the truth is, I plan on doing a lot more tonight, but... If we would if we would continue, we'd be speaking a little bit more about what the, what is the scapegoat and what's the scapegoat trying to do. But the Ezer Hashem will have to stay there for next week. We're going to be next week. We'll see you next year. Next year. Right.